We are up to Nehemiah 5. About this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families, we need more food to survive. Others said, we have managed our fields, vineyards and our homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we have had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy and our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters and we are helpless to do anything about it for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. At the meeting, I said to them, We are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have to sell themselves to pagan foreigners. But you are selling them back into slavery again. How can how often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say about this in their defence. Then I pressed further. What are you going to what you are doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending the people money and grain. But now let us stop this business of charging interest. You must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves and homes to them this very day and repay the interest you charged when you lent them their money, grain, new wine and olive oil. They replied, we will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and made the nobles and officials swear to do what they had promised. I shook out the folds of my robe and said, If you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes and from your property. The whole assembly responded, Amen, and they praised the Lord. And people did as they had promised. For the entire twelve years that I was governor of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, neither I nor my officials drew on our official food allowance. The the former governors, in contrast, had laid heavy burdens on the people, demanding a daily ration of food and wine besides 40 pieces of silver. Even their assistants took advantage of the people. Because Because I feared God, I did not act that way. I also devoted to the work, myself to the work of working of the, on the wall and refused to acquire any land. And I required all my servants to spend time working on the wall. I asked for nothing, even though I regularly fed 150 Jewish officials at my table, besides all the visitors from other lands. The provisions I paid for each day included one ox, six choice sheep or goats, and a large number of poultry. And every ten days we needed a large supply of all kinds of wine. Yet I refused to claim the governor's food allowance because the people already carried a heavy burden. Remember, O my God, all that I have done for these people and bless me for it. This is the word of God. Please have a seat. It's good to be with you. Thank you to Roger and the team for leading us 
in worship. It's been great this morning to come into God's presence. I love that, uh, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus song. I love that. I want us to do that more and more and more. Uh, I want that to become the new shine, Jesus shine. You know, we just do it all the time. Those of you that have been part of the church for any length of time, you know what I mean by that. And those of you that don't know what I mean by that, you're the lucky ones. But anyway, there we are. Have you ever gone into a cafe and ordered a coffee and some cake only to find that for some reason the server gives you the smaller bit of cake? Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me a a number of times. And when it happens, you feel like some kind of injustice has been done uh, against you. You know, maybe it's it's not one of those chain coffee shops. It's it's one of those independent ones, probably one of the high-end ones that has really kind of exotic flavours. It's not your normal Victoria sponge and your Battenberg you're talking about here. We're talking about cinnamon and pistachio. You know, we're talking about, you know, I don't know, something with rose water in and all of those lovely cakes and lemon and, and there's coffee and caramelised apple and they've got a crumb on all of... I'm starving now. <laughs> I hope we've got some of that later. You know, I'm just saying, if all I get is a rich tea, I'm going to kick off. I'm just putting that out there. But, you know, you, it's one of those kind of coffee shops. So because it's that kind of a coffee shop, the cakes don't come from factory pre-cut. So the server, it's always better when a server cuts them, and if you smile as well as you're ordering it. And so you've been in the queue, and you've been deliberating what cake to have, because you want every piece of cake, but you think that will be a little bit piggish. So uh, you have got your kids with you, so you can't try and buy them cake on the rules that you're going to eat it. But So you look at what's going on, and you see the person in front of you orders their coffee and their cake, and they get the wedge to beat all wedges. It is huge. And you start salivating. And you think, oh, this is wonderful. And so you order the same cake. But for some reason, whether it's just me that the server looks me up and down and thinks you don't need a wedge the size of the guy in front of you, I don't know. But you get a smaller piece of cake. And, and you actually... You want to say something, but you think that's going to make you sound really stupid. So you just go to your table and you sulk internally, don't you? It happened to me the other week. Some of you will know that our daughter's not been very well for a few months. And so we took her out in the sunshine to a cafe just to give her some hot chocolate and a piece of cake. And we could park virtually outside this cafe. And we got there and we, I, I went in and ordered and she wanted hot chocolate. I had a tea. My wife had a tea. And I looked at the cake. I ordered some cake. And so we sat down. I was well looking forward to this cake. And the cake came. And I kid you not, Kezia's cake was easily twice the size of my cake. She laughed. My wife laughed. And I cried. I was not... <laughs> I was not impressed with what was going on with this piece of cake. And what made it even worse was she didn't give me any of her cake. My cake was smaller, it was dry, it, oh, it was just, it ruined the whole experience. I was like a stroppy teenager stamping my feet saying, it's not fair, I, I didn't like it. Because this injustice had been done uh, to me. Maybe you've had similar uh, injustices imposed against you where you feel you should have got better or in a version of cake bigger than what you actually got. Injustice is a lack of fairness. A lack of fairness. 
And I think we live in a world where showing justice and showing mercy, showing compassion, showing simply what it is to put other people before ourselves, to be fair, to do what is right, I think we're living in a world where sadly that is diminishing. I don't know if I should admit it. I think I have before in a church that does brigades. I was a Cub Scout. I wasn't in brigades. We didn't have brigades. Growing up, that's too churchy for me, so I went to the Scouts. And we used to have a promise. And it was on my honour, I promised that I will do my best to do my duty to God and to the king, it was the queen when I used to do it, to help other people and to keep the Cub Scout or to keep the Scout or to keep the Venture Scout law. And in this promise, you were promising to help other people. You could say we were promising to make sure we were fair and kind to other people, even if it meant putting their needs and them before ourselves. Even if it meant it didn't matter if you gave them the bigger cake than the one that you had. In Philippians, we are encouraged to consider others better than ourselves, to look to the interests of others. And maybe you have instances in your life where you feel this has not been done to you. Where there's been some kind of injustice against you, put upon you. Or maybe, if we're honest, we know that we haven't been fair to others. And we have been the ones causing, inflicted injustice upon others. And simple, small injustices happen every single day. Our son, a couple of months ago, was walking in school in the playground. I don't know what they'd been doing. They were walking back into class, and the teacher behind him stepped on the back of his heel. Now, when that... It's a simple accident. I've done it a number of times to people. I've had people do it to me. It's very easy. The thing you do in that instance is turn and say, Oh, I'm so sorry, Reuben. I didn't mean to do that. But no, no, no. What this teacher watched, because naturally when that happens, you turn around. Reuben turned around, she looked at him, she said, take bigger steps. <laughs> now we laughed about it at home, but what kind of a world are we living in where a teacher makes a mistake, a very simple, honest, easy mistake that we've all probably made, and instead of owning it, instead of saying, I'm oh, sorry, Reuben, She puts the blame onto a child and says, take bigger steps. And you see, the reason she does that is because, sadly, that is the world we're living in. Drive around in the car. Recently, I've come to two roundabouts. I've been on the roundabout, and the car has cut me up on the roundabout, and they've had a go at me. (laughs) They are in the wrong, but they've had a go at me. Because people don't want to take responsibility for their actions. People don't want to take responsibility for these issues of justice and mercy, of putting everybody else first, of doing, of just doing what is right. But we also live in a world of huge injustice as well. The current economic crisis that many find themselves in see the poorest in our society being penalised. As not only, for example, do the poorest have uh, utility meters imposed upon them, those utility meters means they pay far more for their electricity and gas than those that can afford not to have a prepayment meter pay. How is that right? And that's just in the UK. 
compared to the injustices that happen in the world around us, these are minimal. You know, injustices that happen around the world are, are awful. Tonight, there's a, there's a soccer match for soccer aid for UNICEF. Millions of pounds will be raised to give the poorest kids in society a little bit of help. Because we live in a world where the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And around the world, there are kids. I mean, you know, Rebecca's going there tomorrow to Malawi. And there are kids that just don't have, we're not talking luxuries, we're talking basic necessities in life. In war-torn areas around the world. In poverty-stricken areas around the world. In, in areas around the world where there are oppressive governments that make our government look like they're absolutely amazing. These injustices happen on a simple day-to-day scale, on a, a, a UK scale, but far more on a world stage. And so today, as we continue with our series at Nehemiah, we get to Nehemiah chapter 5, which is looking at how the people were rebuilt through justice and love. It's looking how we live in a fair society where everyone is valued and treated. And in truth, I think we can look through chapter 5, and that could have been written today. Because the issues that we're going to look at in chapter 5, they're no different to what's happening in our world today. So you, even though we'll explore what it meant in biblical times, you could just pluck chapter 5 out and put it into 2023. And some of those issues are relevant now as they were there. Why? Because as human beings, we really learn. <laughs> we really change. But God keeps working with us. So that our hearts are softened, our minds are are grown, and we do change. Because you see, here's the challenge for us today. Do we live lives where justice and love are are displayed, and do we stand up for others when injustice and hate are imposed upon them? The Bible is very clear for us as followers of Jesus. Even before Nehemiah, uh, we read in Micah 6, but he's already made it plain how to live. What to do? This is from the message paraphrase. I think it's going to come up on the screen. But he's already made it plain how to live, what to do. What God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. Now the prophet Micah gave this prophecy from God around 300 years before Nehemiah. Don't get fooled because Micah comes after Nehemiah in the Old Testament for what we have is, we haven't got a chronological order, but rather types of writings are grouped together. So this prophecy from Micah is before Nehemiah. God spoke this prophecy because there were corrupt leaders and people were oppressing the poor. 300 years later, Nehemiah chapter 5, nothing has changed. These words in Micah were what Nehemiah is living out and calling people to in this chapter, and it's what God calls you and I to live out in today's world also. So what's going on in this chapter that uh, Sally read to us earlier? The people were crying out to Nehemiah. It's interesting to see that it says uh, the husbands and wives were crying out. Sorry, ladies, but in this time, very rarely did the wives cry out. So the fact that the Bible states 
that it wasn't just the men, but it was the women, it was the wives that were crying out as well. That elevates this injustice. That makes it even more serious, that there is a really deep injustice going on, that it's calling everybody to cry out that this isn't fair. It was a, it was a, a, a real outpouring of all the injustices they were experiencing. They had no food, so they were hungry. That was because of overcrowding. There were simply too many people for the food to go around, so it then becomes a supply and demand issue. With those who had power to control the food, they controlled it. The price of everything skyrocketed, and so people were selling their land to be able to pay for basic necessities, to pay for food. They were selling houses and vineyards. And so that means not not only were they having nowhere to live, they're selling their vineyards, they've got no business as well. They're selling everything all to be able to eat. And then on top of all of that, the taxes increase so that people find themselves having to borrow to pay these taxes so the debt is just spiralling and spiralling. See, I said it could have been written for today. Everything is spiralling out of control. But then it seems to go from bad to worse because they have no property to sell to pay what they owe, so they, they, they sell the only thing they've got, and that's their kids. They start selling their kids into slavery. But this type of slavery isn't the slavery where they got paid for what they were doing. They got no wages. They were paying off the debt that was already owed. Can you imagine how people would have been feeling? Can you imagine why they started crying out that this was absolutely awful? This would have been a a, a nightmare of a situation. But friends, here's the kicker. This is not foreign authorities doing this, but rather it is their Jewish brothers that's doing it to them. They're doing this against their own. So you have some people who see the situation and actively decide to use it to their advantage, even when it means going against the very people that you walk with, that you work with, that are your relatives. This is awful. These are the ones you're supposed to be rebuilding the wall with, and yet you're penalizing them in the most horrific of ways. You know, they had just endured the oppression that we saw in chapter 4. They had a building tool in one hand and a a sword in the other. They came together for that. They were fighting the enemy that they could see. But here there's no outside enemy. This is an enemy from the inside attacking from within. Hold that in your mind a moment. The enemy from within side is attacking them from within. It's why when churches have disagreements, when churches have infighting, the enemy, the devil, just sits back, smiles and rubs his hands with glee. Because he doesn't need to do anything. If we're attacking each other, we're doing his job for him. But worse than that, we're not doing God's job. We're not going out and transforming people's lives with the love of Jesus, not living out at the Great Commission. That's why Nehemiah was so angry. It was bad enough when when Sambalat and his cronies attacked them. But when they were attacking themselves from within, I think Nehemiah, I think the technical term is he loses his rag. he's, He's absolutely lost it. He's so angry, he was fuming. We say in Wales, they're saying, he was tamping. That's what we say in Wales. Tamping, you cannot get any angrier than when you're tamping. And to tamp means to to press down, 
to crush. It's, it's when you go to your, your high-end coffee shop and they put the coffee in and they push it down with that little plunger and it compresses all the coffee. So when the hot water runs through it, it distributes the flavor well. That would be a barista. But anyway, it distributes it well. That's called tamping. It's when you press something. It's when you crush something. You, you, you push it from every side so it has no space to move. That's what tamping means. And in Wales, if you're really annoyed, you say, oh, I'm tamping with them. Absolutely tamping with them. Because I'm oppressed. I'm, I'm pushed. I'm squeezed. That's what Nehemiah was feeling. I'd imagine if there was a visual of it, steam would be coming out of his ears. He was so annoyed. They were compressed so much that they were breaking. And then, that's what, so that, that's what's going on. And Nehemiah then gives us a masterclass in how to deal with anger. For we read, after thinking it over. The English Standard Version tells us that he takes counsel with himself. You see, Nehemiah doesn't react immediately. He takes time to think about it, to to talk to himself about it, probably to speak to himself what the options are. The Bible doesn't tell us how long he thought about it. We don't know if this was just a, guys, I, I need to take a minute. I just need to take a breath. I just need to pause. Whether this was a little bit longer, whether it was an hour, or whether it was a couple of days, we don't know. All we know is that when Nehemiah hears what is going on, he gets very, very angry. He is tamping. And instead of acting out of the place of anger, he takes some time to mull it over, to calm down so that he responds, he acts properly. Let me ask you, how many times do you wish you had done that as opposed to acting in the moment of anger? If you've never acted in the moment of anger, stand up now. Nobody? (laughs) Okay. Because we all do it from time to time. You see, we're not, we're not reading that it was wrong to get angry. If anything, we, when we hear of injustices that are hurting people, getting angry is a natural human response. Look in the New Testament. Jesus, he gets angry. We call it righteous anger. He tips over the tables. He's so angry. But Nehemiah doesn't act when he's in the emotional state of anger. But he gives himself time to think about it so he can respond accordingly. So he positions himself to resolve the conflict as opposed to inflaming it. Now I know me, and I know my personality, and I know my wife, who's watching this at home right now, is thinking, you need to do that more, Wayne. You need to practice what you preach. You know, for most of my life, I've been trying to learn to respond as opposed to react. And the fact that I'm telling you now at 52 years of age, I'm still trying to learn that, says that there are many moments in my life where I have not got that right. That can be with my kids, That because they do drive you potty at times, don't they? That can be with my kids, that can be with my wife, she doesn't drive me potty at all, or it can be in other situations. You know, where where I've I've got angry, and instead of taking a pause, I've acted in the emotional state of anger. And let me tell you, every time I've acted in the emotional state of anger, it has never, ever once gone well. (laughs) It's always gone pear-shaped when I've acted in the emotional state of anger, even if that anger is justified. But whereas when I've 
I've gotten angry over something and I've taken time to calm down and I've taken a, I've taken a beat, I've paused. I've thought about it and I've responded in a way that has moved the situation. When I've done that, the situation has always been moved on. Solutions have revealed themselves in my moments of quietly thinking it over. So Nehemiah getting angry was right. It was, a, it was the, the worst situation imaginable. People were taking each other for a ride. But he was even more right in the way he responded and not reacted. And this time of thinking, you see, if he hadn't taken the time to think, he probably wouldn't have come up with the, the, the actions, with the, the answers, with the responses that he did. Because in that moment of taking time to think, he says two things. Firstly, he says, you're hurting your own relatives by charging them interest when they borrow money. And not only was it wrong, it was illegal. You see, it was lawful to loan money uh, to each other, but you were supposed to do that without charging interest. The people who had the money to loan were charging interest and loaning on top of loans. They were basically acting like modern-day loan sharks. And Nehemiah reminds them that it was illegal as far as the Jewish law goes. And secondly, he reminds them that, that when they were conquered, many Jews were sold as slaves to foreigners, and many of them had been bought back out of slavery by other Jews, meaning they're free again. And yet now, they're reversing that, and, and, and the wrong and the, um, uh, the legalities of it, the Jews were receiving fellow Jews as slaves to pay off high-interest loans. So what they were doing was not legal in terms of Jewish law. And Nehemiah is showing them exactly that they're doing wrong. He's very specific. He's very measured. And he tells them that all of this is really messed up. And the wonderful thing about this is that the exploiters, the oppressors, have nothing to say. They, they can't defend themselves because they can't argue against what they know is true. And then Nehemiah gets to the root of the issue to the reason they have been acting unjustly against their fellow brothers and sisters. Nehemiah says, should you not walk in the fear of our God? Should you not walk in the fear of our God? In other words, by acting the way you've been acting, you've not been taking God seriously. By, by your actions, you've been mocking God. You've been ignoring and walking away from God. You've been actively working against God. Friends, when it comes uh, to justice, God is a just God. God is a just God. God does what is right all of the time. Not simply because he's better than us, but simply because it's who he is. It's part of his nature. He can't go against doing the right thing. So when the people and when we act unjustly, we're not simply doing that against people, we're doing it against God. Eric Mason in his book, Nehemiah for You, says... It is because the nobles and officials are not walking in the fear of God that they are acting unjustly. If we know God, listen to this, if we know God, if we are awestruck by him, it should make us reach out in our heart and in our actions to the needs of somebody else to help them and to never exploit them. Let that sink in, friends. This is the heart of this chapter from Nehemiah. We just read that if we know God, if we're awestruck by him, it should make us reach out in our heart 
for other people. I hope you find that challenging, because if you don't, you need to check that you've got a pulse, okay? If we love God, we love others, and we act justly out of love. And so when we see people struggling, we are moved in our hearts to help them, and that's why justice and love go hand in hand. And we do it because we know God, we're awestruck by him, he blows us away. And our hearts are just poured out in love. Nehemiah is is saying to the exploiters that their actions are showing that they simply do not love their brothers and sisters. That must have hurt and made them stand up and take notice because they do a 180 and they respond and they repent and Nehemiah does this dramatic shaking out of of his coat, of his cloak, of unfolding it all, symbolizing that if they do not listen, if they carry on exploiting, that is what God's going to do for them. Suppose it's a bit like Jesus saying, you shake the dust from your sandals and you move on. If they do not repent, if they do not come back, if they do not help each other, God is saying, I want nothing to do with you. I'm, I'm going to shake you out. You will not have your possessions. You will not, because I control everything. I am God. You will not have the life that you are leading. You know, God's saying, don't push me on this one. But repent and look after your brothers and sisters. And under Nehemiah's leadership, things turn around. Justice was restored and love was restored and people's lives and livelihoods were restored, which has a positive impact on the rebuilding of the walls. Which notice in chapter 5, because of this mess, the building work stops. It's not mentioned once. Because when there's infighting, God's work does not get done. Same with us as a church. When there's any infighting, God's work is not being done. It's on pause. That's why you need to have this unity and this justice and love for everybody. And as as a leader, Nehemiah practiced what he's preached. In this chapter, we read that he was made governor of Judah. Allow that to sink in. This is a great chapter. I'm loving it. He's gone from a nobody to to a cupbearer to a project manager to the governor of Judah. Nehemiah had gone from being invisible to being highly visible. And that reminds us that with God, you and I are never invisible, but in God's eyes, we are always visible for he sees us and can do amazing things to us. And Nehemiah tells us why he did not act the way of the exploiters, because as governor, he could have. He says, but because I feared God, I did not act that way. You see, Nehemiah could have made life as a governor very difficult for people. He could have imposed a massive tax upon them. He had like 150 servants that he had to pay, that he had to feed every day. And it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't beans on toast or baked baked potato. This was good food they were getting. And Nehemiah, lots of the governors, they taxed all of their people so they could pay for all of this. So that as the governor, they weren't out of pocket. They were quids in. But Nehemiah says, I did none of that. And not only that, those 150 servants, they didn't just serve Nehemiah, he sent them out to serve on the wall, to serve the other people, and Nehemiah did the same. So Nehemiah, Nehemiah's leading was very countercultural, as far as being a governor is concerned. It wasn't about personal preferences and desires, and that's been lost in our society too. Our politicians, our leaders seem to be far more about personal preferences and desires than actually doing what is right for the whole country. 
But you know, I think that can be lost in church as well. For we can be guilty of giving into our own preferences and desires, far, given those far more importance than what God actually wants. Again, in his book, Eric Mason says, but it is God's priorities that matter. We must expand from a kingdom of me to a kingdom of he. Expand, grow from a kingdom of looking out for ourselves to a kingdom of God. My life is about the glory of God and the development of others. Now, as we're coming to a close fairly soon, I don't know about you, but I have found this chapter so, so challenging because I know what I'm like. I know my personality. I find it so challenging. The truths and teaching in this chapter, they're not hidden. They're right in your face. It's almost as if Nehemiah gets a fish and slaps him across the face with it. You cannot, you cannot miss what Nehemiah is saying. And it asks deep and hard questions for us as individuals, but for us as God's church as well. As we live out our lives, do we live with a heart of love and justice to those around us, especially those who are struggling? And as we see injustices around us, do we act as Nehemiah did, even when that that means foregoing your own freedoms? You know, as I was writing this sermon on, on Thursday, somebody popped into my mind. And the person who popped into my mind was the lady who sells the big issue outside Waitrose. I felt really awful. Of the number of times I walk past her and she says, big issue, and I, I smile and I say, no thank you, and I go in to buy my matcha paste and dragon fruit, whatever it is you get in the most upmarket supermarket you can possibly get, apart from Harrods or Selfridges or anything like that. And I thought, what? No, no thank you to helping somebody who, who doesn't have a proper home. No thank you to somebody who has struggled in ways that I can only, can't even imagine. No thank you to somebody who's just asking me if I could give them a little bit of help. And I felt really, really challenged about it. Because where would Jesus be? Would Jesus be walking past hoping she doesn't catch his eye? Oh, thank goodness she's talking to somebody else. I can just sneak in to waiters now and buy my teriyaki sauce. It's all okay. No. I think Jesus would stop. Jesus would bend down. Jesus would sit with her. Jesus would certainly buy a big issue. Jesus would ask her her name. Jesus would ask her how she's doing. And then he might even go and get her a cup of coffee at the same time. You see, that is what Jesus would do. And I don't blame her for sitting outside Waitrose as opposed to Iceland. She may be struggling, but she knows where the money is. Can you imagine, church, if every single Christian who walked into Waitrose in Billericay, if we all bought a big issue, she would, she would sell out. Within an hour, she'd sell out if we all walked in and bought a big issue. I know, it's a bit uncomfortable, church, isn't it? But that's what justice is about. Why is it that we'll spend 5 95 on Christianity magazine, but we won't spend £4 on a big issue for somebody who's struggling? It's true. Why, do we, why, why is that how we live? 
You see, it's easy when we think of injustice to think of the injustice on the world's stage. And it's right that we do that. It's right that we think about racial injustice, injustice to the poor in developing countries, medical injustice, educational injustice, spiritual injustice. And friends, that's all vitally important because if we fear God, we are moved to action where we can. That's why Rebecca's going to Malawi tomorrow. But as well as injustice on the world stage, right on our doorstep, there is injustice. And very often we walk past with a smile and a no thank you and we carry on with our day as if it doesn't touch us at all. You know, I heard this week that food donations to the food bank are down. And yet Waitrose is always busy. But the food donations to the food bank are down. Why is that? Because as a society, we're not acting in total fairness. You see, if you and I truly fear God, we would not act the way of the world. We would care and love, not just with words and prayers, but with action. For when as God's people, when as God's church, we are generous to others and serve others and act out against injustice, this brings people into contact with God, which in turn brings life transformation into their lives. As God's church, we need to speak out against injustices on our doorstep and also in the world. It's why when we see awful things happening, the church, we need to be involved. For when, friends, there is a genuine fear of God, we will see the world change as people, as governments act with love and justice. God calls us to do simply more than tut and shake our heads. We need to write to our politicians. We need to support justice issues where we can. Because the truth is, friends, nothing much has changed from Nehemiah's day. Nothing. It's why we said this chapter could have been written today. It's why the government's policy on things like immigration is, in my opinion, and from a biblical view, completely wrong. We should show compassion when people who are struggling and fearing for their lives turn up on our shores. And no, I don't buy into the politics that says we need to look after our own first. What do we read in Nehemiah and in Micah 6? We read that he didn't turn people away even though it cost him. Why? Because of his fear of God, he did not act in a way that was so ungodly. And you and I and the church need to do the same. Let me close by reading that passage for Micah again but he's already made it plain how to live what to do what God is looking for in men and women Micah is reminding us that life has to be more than paying lip service to God and it has to be more than going through the motions it's quite simple Micah says do what is fair and just to your neighbor who's our neighbor friends everybody everybody is our neighbor be compassionate and loyal in your love and don't take yourself too seriously take God seriously. Friends, it is time to take God seriously. To take the fear of God seriously. Because if we don't, God will shake his cloak out. I don't know about you, but I don't want God to shake his cloak out for me. I want to do what God calls me to do. So I just want to encourage you to look at those injustices on your doorstep, to look at those injustices on the world scale and say to God, God, What is it that you want me to do? 
What can I do to help to show your love and your mercy to those people who are not, who are having a rough time? Maybe it's your neighbor and you, you just, you know that something's been made and it, just take them a meal. Take them a cake. Take them some flowers. Whatever it is. It doesn't have to be big and grandiose. Maybe as you walk past that lady who sits outside Waitrose, you'll stop and you'll ask her what her name is and you'll, you'll give her four quid for a big issue. Just to help. Just to show that God... And just as you walk away, just say, just I'll pray for you. To show injustice. To, to kick injustice away because God doesn't want it. So we live as God calls us to live. Should we stand together? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that you are a good God. That you are a God who's always just. Sorry when we have acted in unjust ways. But we are thankful that Jesus, he washes our sin. He washes it all away. Stir us, Father. Stir us to action. Father, if we're feeling a bit uncomfortable, then stir us. Remind us why we're uncomfortable. Stir us to action to help those in the world. May we not oppress anybody. May we show that with Jesus there is a better, a right and another way to live. And so we seek you to to move in the the injustices in the world, to to bring restoration, to, to bring respite where people are feeling oppressed and crushed and pushed out. Father, we just ask very simply that as we worship you, you would break our heart for what breaks yours. Bless you, Lord. Stir us, we pray. Amen. We're going to sing the song Hosanna. And in this song, there's a line that says, everything I am for your kingdom's cause. Everything. Friends, what do you need to surrender to God today for this to be a reality in your life? I only encourage as we sing this song to lay things down before him, surrender things down, everything for his kingdom's cause and ask him, ask him, say, God, please break my heart for what breaks yours. Let's sing this out as we worship God. Thank you.